Hi, guys. Welcome to the Gig Economy Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us a day late. I see Jesper already threw me under the bus. That of course, of course. Technically, it was my fault. Lost some power. And, uh, of course, I didn't think about, hey, Jesper, can you go ahead and, uh, you know, make sure that you... That intro is way too long. I got to adjust that. Uh, make sure you like reschedule. Well, I didn't even know I could reschedule it like right from StreamYard. I was able just to change the date and time because I hadn't gone live yet. There we go. So I was pretty excited about that. And uh, thank you, Jeff, so much for uh, rescheduling. I flexibility. Appreciate that. Yep. My, pl- my pleasure. Uh, summer is all about flexibility and fun, Joe. Let's, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. we'll be we'll yeah. be fun and flexible. In fact, flexibility seems to be the reason for the gig economy. So we must be flexibility lovers. Oh, there Look at go. that! I already got a Either. good one-liner. It's a pro here. It's a yeah, pro. For sure. Yeah, we've been doing this a little too long. <laughs> so, uh, as everyone knows, on uh, opposite Wednesdays of the new show, we interview a gig creator or a gig worker. Today is a gig creator. Well, actually, oh, the yeah. creators are B usually side. gig workers too. So it's kind of like both. So that's called the B side. So we have Jeff. Well, I know absolutely 100% nothing about. Jeff sent his links one minute before the show started. <laughs> very prepared. I'm very prepared. <laughs> so I know Jeff has written a book, but before we get into that, let's talk about your gig life, what you do, yep. uh, if it's a full-time gig, part-time gig, what's your main gig, when did you start it, all that stuff. Okay. So um, we can say past tense because... Since I've intensively been researching DoorDash um, after the end of my uh, gig economy career, uh, I could not possibly make myself go out and do it again. Okay. Uh, so, so there ne- will never be another one. But my uh, my start in the gig economy came almost exactly three years ago. All right. Uh, we were during the pandemic, and there was no work. There were most of the stores were not open yet. You know, going to the store felt like going somewhere to to the moon, maybe, you know. Yeah. Right. Yep. So, uh, you know, it was a relief just to get the hell out of the house and, and do anything and to make some money to, to give myself a little bit of freedom. Well, while we had so little freedom, that was good, too. So I started doing that pretty much, I, or, you know, full time. In fact, when I started, I think I knocked off like 21 days in a row from wow. you know, from my first dash because I was just, well literally hungry right (laughs) literal hunger not metaphorical hunger so uh i did that and i realized i was listening you know this is actually you know kind of what i rarely talk about which is what it was it really like dashing so i started dashing in a town uh that i was actually born in called salem oregon and salem's a fairly small town um it's you know a couple hundred thousand people it's the state capital of oregon it's got it's fairly conservative lots of state workers um the whole willamette valley where we live is is really just an agricultural uh valley that supports most of oregon with its uh with its economics and and rivers now in salem there happens to be the willamette river that runs through the town and there is one bridge there was a bridge one bridge when i was born and there's one bridge now (laughs) <laughs> that was 55 years ago Dang. so delivering doordash in salem is a gigantic pain in the ass you just can't get across that town efficiently and so i did it i did it maybe even for a few days and i just went holy crap 
if this is the way it's working, like this is this is the apocalypse. So, <laughs> so I headed, so I headed uh, about twenty miles north to a little town um, that is filled with Hispanic migrant laborers, uh, old believer uh, Russian immigrants, and retired people. Now that's a heck of a combination, right there. Yeah, conservative retired people, uh, agriculture migrant labor and and resident labor and then uh a huge huge community of russian old believers okay so yeah there's three languages on the fire trucks i learned while i was driving around there there's <laughs> russian there's english and there's spanish on the fire trucks now that's pretty cool i don't know what city you go to where you get russian nope. english and spanish on the fire truck <laughs> so it turned out right this is a this is a small town gosh you know fifty thousand people maybe in this in this central area with a few small towns around it so i realized this was easy pickings yeah, right. <laughs> they've got on one end of town, they got the big outlet center that's got restaurants and everything that's right on the big freeway between Salem and Portland, the big, you know, the big city in the state. And then on the other side of town, they've got the, you know, the more Hispanic old Woodburn that has a, a cluster of, you know, the other McDonald's, the, the other McDonald's, right? There's oh, one, wow. one side of town, there's the other support <laughs> between the McDonald's. So they got the other McDonald's, they got uh the the typical the typical fast food offer. yep yep and Wen uh, wendy's and so forth yep yeah and the good pizza places were kind of running north south from okay. from that so you kind of got i mean you've got a nice little grid right you start on one side you go to the other side and then you can go up and down for pizza and to deliver to the communities sure. out there so you know, I was a newbie, but I figured out real quick, right, that if if driving, if you can't negotiate quickly around where you're going, you have no hope. Right. right? And and for Salem, I just thought that was it was just it was just horrific. And and all the deliveries, uh, because Salem doesn't really have a you know a populous part of town. It's everywhere. You you don't know what direction you're going or how many yeah. miles out that direction you're going. It's a nightmare. So in Woodburn, I actually moved up there. I thought, well, you know, first of all, I spent a few months because uh, I was living in Salem driving back and forth. So I was commuting, you know, a half hour oh, and then commuting another half hour home. But again, compared to doing Salem, that was a party. I was fine because right. I was dashing like 10, 12 hours a day. Oh, wow. I would, okay. I wow, would get yeah. there. I'm a hard worker. I'm an old guy, right? We don't, I mean... Come on. I started working when I was nine years old, man. Yeah. <laughs> DoorDash did not throw me, right? Yeah. So um, so I learned that that this was pretty cool because I could really chill out, man. I mean, yeah. there's no traffic jams. I I, you know, get out and sit in the sun by the outlet mall. I subscribe to uh Panera for their coffee plans. I just oh, yeah. to Panera all day long and drink coffee. I was hopped up on goofballs more than anybody could be. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I mean, it, it was going and it was such, you know, desperation is so interesting, right? Yeah. When you're desperate, it's yep. amazing the things that you can do. Mm -hmm. And oh, so yeah. that, that desperation, you know, waned over time to the point where I just, I like hit the, I think right around the holidays of 2021, I hit the wall, man. I had just been going to, and I just, and you know, I'd been doing, you know, 20 day runs in a row, that kind of thing. Um, Cause my kids are grown, right. They weren't in school. They weren't living right. with me during the pandemic. And so, and I'm a, a single guy. So, th so there's just me. Right. And uh, you know, I like many other drivers, because I had a flexible personal schedule, I could have a flexible or 
yep. you know, highly manic uh, work schedule, either one, however you want to describe that. Yeah. So um, I really burned out and I just crashed. And I think I went, I think I laid in my house in my bed for about three weeks over the holidays and I just couldn't do anything. I think I made like 400 bucks on Christmas Eve or something. And I just, that was it. And I didn't drag, I didn't dash for another like three weeks. And I, you know, and I didn't want to ever do it again, but I did. So I went back to it, did it again for another few months, kind of figured out some more ways to do it. I kind of dipped up into the metropolitan area of Portland Beaverton uh, into the Beaverton area, which is a very populous uh, suburb. And so uh, it gave me just kind of another, I don't know, maybe maybe just another view of the world, just from yeah. being burnout, driving the same routes back and forth in a small town. Sure. Uh, so it gave me something else to look at. And I'd kind of bounce back and forth between small towns. And then sometimes I'd go to Beaverton if it was really just dead. And I thought, you know, I could make some money. So that kind of ran its course to the okay. point where where. Uh, I needed a break and a, and a friend of mine, uh, an elderly friend of mine needed help in Washington. And so I said, Hey, I'll come up and help you. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. She was moving into an assisted care facility. I needed somebody to help her for those last few weeks and get through the house. And so um, we've been close friends for a long time and I went up there to help. And so I door, I door dashed uh, there and lived in Bellingham, Washington. So I've really done this a number of places, right? Yeah, that's, yep. that's, that's Northern Washington. And, and, uh, if you guys know, Zach drives fast, Zach drives in, uh, Bellingham. Okay. Uh, yep. that, that's, that's where he, that's his market. Now, Bellingham's an interesting market. That's Western Washington university. It's, a. Uh, it's another college town, small college town, but definitely a college town. It's right up there by the Canadian border. I mean, you drive okay. 15 oh, minutes, wow. you, you, you hit the Canadian border. So you're way, 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 way up north Washington. I mean, you're hours north of Seattle. So um, that was really interesting, right? It's on, uh, it's right on the ocean. Um, so there's, there's lots of different small communities up and down there. Uh, there's, there's the major freeway I five, and so running up and down from those communities and down to Western Washington was pretty much, you know, highway miles. So that was an e- interesting, um, you know, difference because there was, you know, you could do some pretty good highway miles, but do it fairly quickly. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was tough though because there's a lake, there's neighborhoods you go up, and so you could really get, you know, you could really struggle to get enough uh time in and the traffic was bad and it was it was frustrating it was very and i think at the same time and this is the this is the double whammy we get at the same time i think the doordash peak of the pandemic was waning and so i think i was feeling both that and a new market but you know one of those things i learned and and if if i could say one good thing for doordash is that when when you move to a new area if you DoorDash for a few weeks, man, you're going to know that town. And so, yeah, right. And, and and it's actually kind of I don't want to encourage anybody to DoorDash, but it's actually kind of fun for the first few weeks because you see where all the neighborhoods are. You see where the people live. You see where the restaurants are. It's kind of like you get your own tour of of the city of, of, oh, sure. the, of the merchant base of a city. And so so I did that up in Bellingham. I really it, it really wasn't great. Um, it was it was just kind of a survival thing on the side. So that and, was um, that was towards the end of your DoorDash career, right? Well, no, no, no. I still got <laughs> another year to go, buddy. Okay. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, I did this. So altogether, I calculated though that over a twenty-four month period. So it's been almost exactly a year since I did my last DoorDash. 
out, out of a 24 month period, I think I worked 16. 16 months. Yeah, 16 months. Okay. So there was a number of times like that Christmas of 2021 where I just crashed and I couldn't even sure. do it for three weeks or four weeks. Right. And I actually in Bellingham, I started to get a physical injury on my left hip because getting Ooh. in and out of my low sedan a hundred times a day, go figure on a 55 year old body. All of a sudden I found I couldn't hardly walk. (laughs) So so I thought, well, before I'm crippled, I might need to take a break a little bit. So I took a break a little bit. The pandemic was opening a little bit. So I drove down to Oregon and visited some family and I had an opportunity to do some nonprofit work in Indiana. So I moved to Bloomington, Indiana for uh, two years. Okay. Dang. Uh, for that first year in Indiana, about six months of that, I DoorDash in Bloomington, Indiana. And that's another college town. Right. It's uh, not a huge college town. It's a couple hundred thousand. It's south of Indianapolis. And it doesn't have really any big cities around us. You got to drive up to Indianapolis to hit a big city or yeah. Cincinnati's yeah. over there and all that stuff. So so what, mean, what 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 did you do to like wrap it up? Like when you you've got all these cities under your belt and then what kind of was the the what's the word the the camel break the you know yeah well and there was there was one there was one so uh in bloomington it went pretty well uh i enjoyed you know i'm not from bloomington indiana so i enjoyed seeing the city and you know got out and around and everything and of course it got old but i was still it was all i had and i and there was no my nonprofit consulting job was done and i didn't have anything else so i was still working at it and about almost exactly uh, a year ago today, I was delivering DoorDash. It was somewhere around 102, and my check engine light came on. Oh, yeah. And uh, my water pump and timing belt blew. Ooh. That was uh, That's a $2,000 repair, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, right. Ooh, that's $2,000. So if you're, if you're a dasher and you have an extra $2,000, I don't believe you. The Gig Economy Podcast will be back after a quick break. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, um, Jeff, when you first started out, I mean, and this is obviously... When you first started out, this was in the city north of of Salem, where you were. Yeah, I know. I know. At least for the dashers here in 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 our area, they were all kind of doing really, really well during the pandemic. I mean, you must have. I mean, how how was it uh, income wise for you? I mean, I know you were working. If you were working twenty twenty hours at twenty days in a row, you must mm-hmm. have been making bank. Um. Well. I mean that's that's kind of the that's kind of always the the challenge of the gig economy because we bring in cash we we right. bring in income but we don't we can't and we don't really uh, track our in our expenses accurately they make it impossible for us to do that and so I, I would argue that just like most people. I think there were a lot of times when um, 
I thought I was winning, but when you think you're winning, all you need is a traffic ticket or a sure. uh, an accident, and you're not. And so yeah. um, I'm going to look. That's I, true. I just pulled up my my sheet here. Um, you would you like me to share the screen with you and show you all my earnings? Yeah, if you want to, I mean, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's see. Present, share screen. So so here we go. So 2020. Um, this was Salem and Woodburn. I made $15,840.90. Oh, look, and I even gave you, I'll send this to you guys if you want. So you can see, this was a commute from Salem, Oregon. Oh, no, I screwed it undo. up. Undo. <laughs> undo. That's undo is our friend. You're right. Okay, so commute from Salem, Oregon, and local Woodburn, Oregon, commute, or local Woodburn, Oregon, and Bellingham, and then uh, commute Bloomington and local Bloomington. So okay. those are all my all my little moves. So I made, in this weird I made almost sixteen thousand dollars exactly every time hmm. this right. year. I mean, and I didn't. I was not endeavoring to do that. It just kind of evened out that way. Now, if you look at my mileage, the first year because I was commuting fourteen thousand seven hundred and forty-four miles. Right. Uh, so twenty twenty-one eight thousand five hundred sixteen miles, and twenty twenty-two twelve thousand nine hundred seventy miles. So you can see the difference. Sure. Um, in where I was living. So twenty twenty-one, when I was in the small town and living in the small town, I really was able to keep my mileage down. Yep. And I really focused on that. So my gross, my gross earnings per mile. So before my expenses in 2020, I made a dollar seven cents a mile uh, in 2021, which I would say was kind of the strongest part of, of being in that Woodburn area. I made a dollar 89 cents a mile. And then uh, 2022, I did a dollar 29 cents a mile for an average of 134. Um, so then I did a few other calculations. I have a diesel Passat. Uh, which yep. gets pretty good gas mileage and and is pretty efficient. So I did all all those things. I know what my expenses were. So my cost per year estimated of gas, you can see that right here. So I spent twelve hundred and ninety dollars on gas, eleven thousand dollars on gas, and twenty one hundred dollars on gas in twenty twenty two because the gas prices really went up when uh, in twenty twenty two, didn't they? Like that diesel went up from two dollars or you know from three dollars or something to six bucks. That's right. killing me, right? So here I am. Now, so I'm in, in 2022 now, I'm in Bloomington and my water pump and, and timing belt blow up. So that's $2,000. Now, it's not only $2,000 in the city of Bloomington. There was not a single mechanic that could even look at my car for a month because oh. Bloomington is very short on mechanics and there's not very many people that do that kind of thing. So right. there's a month without wages, minus $2,000. And uh, even at that month, there's no guarantee. I still had to find somebody to do it and come up with the $2,000 pen. So that was the um, that was the straw that broke the the Jeff's Cam back. Camel that was the end of my yep. that was the end of my dashing career because uh, I really had no other. So first, I had to get my car back on the road so I could literally survive. I was thousand, yep. you know, two thousand miles away from anybody that I've known for most of my life, and uh, so I was able to do that. But I started. Uh, researching the book that I had been pondering for the two years of dashing while I was driving around and taking notes on. So I started that in earnest a year ago and I and uh, have been working on this ever since and taking that experience and those writings and sharing them with other people. Because cool. the thing, the thing, I think you guys nailed it. The thing that you have is you have lots of reporters, you have lots of stories around the world, but almost nobody that's ever written about the gig economy, except for a few guys like Sergio Vidian of the Ryder guy. I mean, there's a few people that cover the industry for, you know, for us, yeah. for our own little, and you guys do. But in general, 
for the general public, any reporter that ever writes about the gig economy has no idea how it actually works. They no. don't know how <laughs> they actually get paid. They don't know how the customer, you know, if the customer's tip or don't. They don't know the, how much they're earning. They don't know the expenses. They don't know anything about it, right? So yeah. this is, and, and this is intentional, right? I mean, this came in in the pandemic with the corporations because they figured out they could fleece our pants off if uh, they could, you know, introduce us to corporate AI and not tell us how it works. Right. And, and so they, so they did. And, and also, you know, when we're, we're the, when we're desperate, we're the people they want to take advantage of, right? We're yeah. the rubes. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I coined the term app slavery because we do not have any independence. And when you, when you're on DoorDash, you may think you're making decisions. You may think you're independent, just like I thought I was making at least some decisions. Well, all, all the apps are like that, though. Really. Yeah. I mean, right, we're not but, truly independent contractors. I mean, we, I call myself an independent contractor, but if that was the case, then I would be able to set my own prices like a drywaller. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm not right. that. We do have, you know, the flexibility to decide what we want to take, but that's about where the buck stops for independent contractors. Right. right. And, and we, and we can log off. Jobs you want. Yeah, exactly. We could log off, but, but, you know, when you're on, one of the things I learned by, by running all those days in a row is that it couldn't be organic because the numbers would come out the same for the same efforts in different days. I'm like, do these guys have me coded in to make $20 yeah. and 61 cents a day? Cause I yeah. think they do. Yeah. They're right? only going to make a certain amount. Yeah. Don't, don't think absolutely cap you, right. You have, yeah. you, you start off an hour and you make, you know, you make one delivery and get 12 bucks and you make another delivery and 13 bucks and you're 25 minutes past the hour. And then you sit on your ass for 35 minutes, right? Yeah. You think, Oh, I'm going to get it this time. I want to make, I mean, 35, you can't, you can't. And that's what people don't understand is that hard work is not rewarded by DoorDash. DoorDash no. is a, DoorDash is a scam. DoorDash is gaslighting. DoorDash wants you to think you're working hard. In fact, they even talk about keeping drivers busy because right. you, because you guys don't have enough to do. We need to keep you busy. Yeah. Right. That's why you DoorDash because you need, you just, you want to be busy. So do you have that same philosophy? I mean, you obviously wrote a book. Uh, looks like you got a podcast about that too, but like, yep. do you, do you have that same, I mean, you've only done DoorDash, so you've not, I assume you haven't done any of the other gigs, right? Nope. So would not, you not even like, one. I mean, you obviously are knowledgeable in them. You haven't done them, but you've talked about, it, I'm sure. Yeah. Probably. I mean, especially in the last year since I've been doing the research to the book and I've gotten to know uh, people and I watch all the gig creators. I've watched you guys. Uh, I, I'm intimately aware of, of Rideshare, but I do not consider myself, you know, I, I go to people like Sergio or I go to other people for yeah. Rideshare questions because I, I don't know. For DoorDash, man, I can tell you probably anything you want to know and probably a million things you don't. Have you heard like what about like the other apps like Shipped or Instacart or I mean I think they all for in a certain degree have an algorithm to control you a hundred percent they all do they have to so so right. just you know the quick math is if we had fifteen merchants and fifteen drivers that's the the math on that for the number of options is fifteen factorial that's mm -hmm. fifteen times fourteen times thirteen yep. twelve ten right that's over a trillion. So anybody, if you guys can figure out a trillion combinations in your head, which one you're going to be getting and how to game the system, I, you know, I'll call you. But so you can't, right? People, it's an illusion. This is all an illusion. And and so, um, so shipped. Uh, I think I even signed up for shipped at one time, and I don't think they ever gave me an order. I mean, shipped is kind of spotty. Uh, a lot of those, right? You have to be in an area of the country, or you have to be in a city where they're actually operating. Yeah. Um, and so the one that, um that i am more familiar with instacart uh i had friends and and relatives that had tried instacart over time 
um, kind of a similar story that they had yeah. somewhat of a good experience for a few months and it went downhill very quickly. So do you recommend like, do you, you, you tell people not to do DoorDash, but do you say don't do any gig work in general? Like, is that your idea or what's your thought about that? So it's not that it's don't do because because this is this is an industry that was based upon desperation like like I was facing. Yeah. Um, so th it's not don't do it. I think we always do what we have to do to survive. But just because this gig economy came into being during the pandemic, uh, when we were in a unique situation, people couldn't travel and get well, out. It, did, and it didn't come in during the pandemic. I mean, Jesper and I have been driving since 2006. Right, right. But it exploded. It, it exploded during the pandemic, particularly last mile delivery. Yeah. And then and, and also with the employment that what happened in the pandemic is people needed money. And so all of a sudden you had a flood of people who wanted some work, but maybe not 40 hours in right. a factory, right? So you yeah. wanted something between some work and too much work, which yeah. is always the which is always the sweet spot. So um I think every single one of these is a direct replacement for something that existed before. Before rideshare, there were taxis, there were buses, there were town cars, there were limos and everything else. And and people got around. And before DoorDash and before Uber Eats and everything else, 99% of retailers and 85% of, of restaurants in the United States never had delivery options prior to the pandemic. So somehow humanity survived without the gig economy. Then the gig economy came in. Why did it come in is the question. And, and I think my answer here, I know my answer, is that it came in to uh, exploit human beings and end employment as we know it on behalf of corporate America so they could put all the risk on us and take all the profit. So it's a horrible deal. It's a scam. It is a blight on and a stain on humanity, but it's also the landscape that we have today. So, so my argument and, and what I truly believe is that the fraud of the gig economy, the fact that every offer a rideshare driver gets is obfuscated from some key information that they could could use to make a real independent contractor decision. Yeah. Every offer a DoorDash person gets is an unsolvable equation. You can't possibly know, am I going to profit? Am I going to lose money? Am I going to break even on this on this offer? And what DoorDash does, and I know what the others have done too, is they use coercive gamblified gamification to yeah. force people into taking non-economically viable jobs because if they don't then they're not being a good team member and they might not you know get better offers in heaven but right? why 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 don't why, but who cares like if someone decides that they want to do that like that's their decision i mean if they have the knowledge and again i would say 98 percent of the people probably won't seek that knowledge out you right. know like you know research it and stuff like that so I, I know what you're saying. You feel like they're taking advantage of them. But I mean, like they kind of make their I mean, they got to know that they're spending gas like they got to know they're not making the money that they're supposed to. I mean, even, you know. Well, so so I think rideshare is a little bit different because the bar is higher. You have you're carrying human beings. So you have to have an approved vehicle. You have yeah. to have you have to have a, not a much certain, higher. Not much no. higher, but a little <laughs> higher. You have to you have to sign off in a little bit of an agreement. You actually see your customer face to face. They see mm -hmm. you. There's yeah. a lot of different things going on in rideshare. DoorDash is a black box. You you yeah. put it in order. It doesn't matter. They don't even care. They don't care if somebody that's not you picks it up and takes it. They don't care. So DoorDash no. is the bottom, bottom, bottom of the barrel yeah. of, of what they're trying to do. And so the 
the the scam is that this is a huge tax on society. DoorDash is jacking up uh, the prices of food, you know, 20, 30 percent. Then they're taking another 15 to 30 percent from the retailer. Then they're taking another 15 percent from the from the consumer. This is this is international corporate fraud. So um, there's a yeah. I mean, don't do it. It's bad for humanity. You want your kids to be able to have employment. We're going down the wrong path, but it's also what we have today. Right. So if people are doing it, I, I use, I think corporate AI, um, the best, the best analogy I can use is human sexuality. When in human sexuality, people talk about informed consent, right? Mm-hmm. We can all do whatever we want as adults, but we should have informed consent, right? Before I do it, I should know what's going to happen to me. And is it fair? Is it not fair? What are the dynamics? And then if I have informed consent, I go, yeah, man, I want to do it. I want, this sounds fun. Then I'm making a decision. 99% of the gig workers on planet earth have not given their informed consent. They do not know the level at which they're being used by corporate AI to uh, slave for, for global corporations, take all the risk, uh, maybe make some money, maybe don't. But DoorDash brags about the part that their, their average dasher, you know, works like four to 10 hours a week. Yeah. So but that's av- what the gig economy was set up for is for part-time work. Well, it was set up to fleece you, but it was set up also to get suckers in that could work a very few hours. And so, yes, suckers. But but you got to realize, too, when those per- people work four hours, let's say that somebody works for DoorDash and they last for nine weeks working four hours. Right. That's nine, yeah. nine, 18. That's 36 total hours. So DoorDash will have just labor laundered. They don't have to give that person any 1099. They don't have to report it to the IRS. That is under $600. So they just laundered labor. That person worked for 36 hours. They may or may not have even made a profit after their expenses. We don't know. Maybe they wrecked their car by distracted driving and they filtered out. But that is so the average DoorDash dasher, that's who they are right? They're the person that never makes anything out of us. There's a few people like us that get into it full time, that learn how to work the system, yeah. that have that are informed, that see like, wait a minute, $22.61 every day is not a random event, right? You can't know that if you're working four hours a week as a stay-at-home yeah. parent for, for nine weeks. So this is what, when DoorDash, when Tony, Tony Shute said, we've had 13 million dashers all time, what he was telling you is we have enough rubes for, 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 to, to take care of all of you. We don't need full-time drivers. We don't care, right? right. DoorDash is the only thing you'll ever do where the more experience you have, the less they want you. Because well, you can't about- be manipulated by the, by the AI anymore and you don't want to lose money. And so, so people... I mean, you see right now, I think you're seeing even people that have been fooled for a very long time waking up to what the gig economy and, and particularly last mile delivery are doing. Well, what about what John said? He actually made a comment that I was going to say the same can be said about corporate America and their employees. Like they're all doing stuff behind the scenes that we don't right. know. They're they're They have algorithms there, maybe not as sophisticated as the AIs you're talking about where they've coded something and like whatever, but like even them trying to force people to come back to work. I mean, that's a manipulation to be like, hey, we want you back. Why? Because so we can control you. You know what I mean? So right. Well, we, we were essential AI level. Right. We've never been so essential. Well, right. We were. We, they missed us. They missed <laughs> us. Um, so. So John's say John's point again, just so you I just can, said the same can be said about corporate America and their employees. Like no, they're but, it, but doing it can't. The same thing. 
okay, but it can't. So let's let's talk about the two different types of employment relationships. In a in an employee relationship, um, I work at a company. That company employs me. That company has risk and expenses and overhead and capital and all those different things that an employer has to have. And it trains me. And it has safety procedures. And it does all the things that we uh, people worked and unionized and fought to receive for safe employment. Right. Right. That's what employment has because as an employer, let's say I run a factory. If I have an employer and I've got 50 workers on the factory floor and those 50 workers are all being unsuccessful uh, in, in making my products, how successful will my company be? Mm-hmm. It won't be successful. Okay. It, right. it can't be. So the only way I can be successful if I'm a, if I'm, a a company owner of a factory with 50 employees is if those 50 employees are successfully performing their tasks, if they're trained, if they're safe, if I can retain them, if I can do all the different things, keep them placed. Now let's imagine those are gig workers. Now I don't value them. I don't want to keep them. The only, I, I don't care if one of them shows up one day and then somebody else shows up the other day and sits in the seat and then somebody else shows up. I just want butts in seats. Right. Right. That's all I want. Butts and seats. Um, If they get injured, well, it's not my problem. If they if they're not trained and they're not smart enough to do the job, maybe they won't come back tomorrow. Uh, If they injure themselves, maybe they won't come back tomorrow. If, um, you know, if if one of them starts making too many demands or making too much money, I can just tell them I don't need you anymore Um, because they're they're not employed. Well, yeah, let me let me just finish real quick. So as if that's if I'm a gig employer. I have no stake in the employees sitting in those 50 factory seats making, I have no stake in that. In fact, the less money they make, the more, if if it's, if I can get the task done, the more money I take home. So, so for me, I want the least experienced newest rubes in all 50 of those seats making me money. And so the, in, there's a completely different relationship that's built with the gig economy and I would argue that you see that in Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grubhub, the corporations have, the only incentive the corporations have is to minimize the pay of the labor. That's the only incentive. And you see that, right? They don't train. They don't, they don't make it safe. They don't give you contract uh, conditions that stay consistent. Maybe one week you're not supposed to take underage minors. Now you're supposed to take it. Uh, How do they keep you safe? How do they, how do they make are they giving you vetted passengers that are actually the person in name? I mean, what are they doing that shows that they have the same common interest with you? And that's why I think John is wrong in, in, in the game, in the gig economy, corporations figured out a new system where they can use humans without responsibility. And that's what they're doing. If we let them use us without responsibility, that's not, that's worse than the rest of corporate America. This right. Is, well, I guess, I guess to back up a little bit, I think he meant that they do control you. Yes. The workers are not the same. You're right. They're not. That's what I, I don't think he was saying. I just think the corporation typically doesn't have their employee in mind. You know what I right. mean? They're doing things behind the scene, maybe not AI created, but you know, like I said, they manipulate you in a certain way to get amount of work done so so my my educational background is i have a master's in business administration from duke university and it's a that's a top business school and i worked as a c-level executive and a and an an executive in the corporate world for big companies that you would know the names of and so um i'm very familiar with those boardrooms and how those things work and the privileges and and liberties that people take 
Um, and yes, that happens in the world. But those people that are doing that in the corporate world, those are also employees, just like I was. So, you know, when you go out for your $300 steak dinner, who's paying? Not me. Yeah. Not me. I ate like a king, man. Right. <laughs> so, so, you know, that's the difference between being a, an employee. And if I was a gig worker, they would have just taken my work, but they wouldn't have bought me dinner. Right. Yeah. I shaved yeah. for, I shaved for this. All right. So let's take a pause here since we're, we're definitely bumping up on time. Let's talk about you switched into the creator mode. So you've obviously wrote a book. Mm -hmm. um, we know what inspired you to write the book for sure. <laughs> um, but, but uh, you wrote the book for just because you wanted to reach people to not do gig work. Cause obviously I haven't read the book or, or anything like that. So just mm -hmm. talk about that a little bit and then we'll wrap it up. No. So I wrote the book. The book is called full dash closure and I'm edit, I'm editing the book for publication later this year, right now. Okay. So I wrote the book and I started a podcast. The first four chapters um, are on uh Substack, So you can actually read the first, you know, 20% of the book or whatever. Okay. Um, and, and chapter two is a doozy. That's my, that's my, um, open letter to dashers, um, where I talk about my own experience and, and what life is like. So it's very personal to me because I did this for, for, uh, 16 months out of 24, uh, 5,521 deliveries is not a few deliveries. No. And, and so that's a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of thinking, a lot of, uh, a lot of learning, a lot of, a lot of, frustration. So the book is called full dash closure because I realized nobody knows the truth of what's going on here. And, right. and so yeah, full dash closure actually came back, came to me, uh, during a, a, a bout of depression waiting for my car to be, uh, fixed so I could actually <laughs> move again. Right. So, so the reason I wrote that book, a reason I wrote this book is to tell people the truth of the economy. Nobody cares about my opinion. My opinion is immaterial. What I have is proof. I have I studied the uh, I studied the the data science. I studied the app design. I studied the architecture and the inside of what DoorDash does, where it came from, how they do it, and and all of this applies to the other uh, gig companies too. Lucky for me, right? That that as as I learned DoorDash, I learned oh well, obviously these guys are are doing the same thing. DoorDash right. are the kings. DoorDash has sixty five percent of of market share in the U.S. Dang. Right? They're the gorilla. Whatever they do, they're setting the market. Yeah. And so I wrote the book just to tell people the truth. And my original concept, funny enough, was neither to take a pro or or a composition. I knew it wasn't going to be tips and tricks because I'm not advising anybody on how to go out and make right. money in DoorDash. I don't think you can make good money in DoorDash. The risk is too high. You might make some money like I did, but you're also going to do $8,000 of damage to your car like I did and use $5,000 of gas. So do the math. Once I got done, I didn't do as good as I was hoping I did. Yeah. So, so I wrote the book just to tell the truth. But once I started researching the data science and everything, and you'll see this in the book, I just kept screaming out loud because it was so horrific. I'm like, no way. No way. I kept unlayering un these layers of the onion of something I've yeah. been doing for two years. And so everything that I thought might be the case, it was a hundred times worse, a hundred times worse. Like these guys, DoorDash, they're evil geniuses. Every single way that you could fleece a human being, gaslight them, use them, deploy them, fleece them, enslave them. DoorDash does it, man. They are really good. And I even had some anonymous, um, contact from inside DoorDash, people are terrified. The people that work there know they're doing evil. They know they're fleecing the world. And so scams don't last forever. Remember Enron existed, then it blew up. 
right? Mm -hmm. And then FTX existed, right? Then it blew up. I'm going to tell you as, as an economist and as a business person, I, my prediction is for the big gig economy is that, that these leaders, um, they're committing too much fraud and it's going to catch up with them. This is not a legitimate, it's the gig economy is a lie. There is no gig economy. There's a world economy. The laborers that have been around that are doing this work have been around since the beginning and will be around after the gig economy, but the yeah. gig economy is live. There's just an economy because if you hire a rideshare driver to come take you from your house across town, that's a substitute for hiring a taxi to take you from your house across town or a substitute for a bus across town. This is not, this is not innovation. This is just corporate predation upon both, both people and, and communities and, and then also upon uh, merchants and retailers. Well, uh, I don't a hundred percent agree with you. Obviously, uh, that's not the the what we take. Now, the only thing I do agree is they're all scammy, and I don't trust any of them. But I don't I don't believe all of that. But I, you know, this is a good conversation. I I, I think it's good for us to hear different sides than what we think. I mean, we think some of the same, but you know what I mean. So this is the question I would ask you guys, and I would ask anybody that believes that the gig economy is a legitimate form of business. Um, why is it that in the gig economy, deception and obfuscation and material information hidden from every individual contract is okay? There is no other workforce or independent contractor on the planet besides the rubes of the gig economy, they made us app slaves. There is nobody else in the world that would sign fraudulent contracts every single day, all day. And that's what we do. So my argument to John and my argument to you is, even if this is what you want to do, it's illegal. We made labor laws in this country to protect people. And this is going around every labor law, every protection for humanity that was ever created. And even if we think it's okay, it's not because it's fraud and we can't go back, right? I mean, people people do a lot of hand-waving and a lot of excuses for the gig economy of why they have to do fraud, why they have to deceive every dasher on every offer. Why do they deceive everybody driving Uber and Lyft and not tell them where you're going and how many miles? Well, you wouldn't do what we want you to do if we told you the truth. Yeah. Okay. That is not right. So we, I mean, this is the end of the conversation. That's not a legitimate business model. If you come to me with that business model, I'm going to throw you out of my bank. That's fraud. You're, you're telling me you've got a fraud scheme, not a business model. Well, it's not that fraud because it's been going on for this long. Well, it, no, it is. It's just not prosecuted yet. I mean, FTX was fraud and it went on. Enron was fraud and it went on and it exploded. And, and I think that's what's going to happen to DoorDash at the very least. The rideshare companies maybe have a little bit more squish room because there's there's more involved there, but but these last mile delivery companies are the DoorDash. DoorDash is a is a blight upon humanity. Well, you heard it here from Jeff. DoorDash is dead. Uh, tell people how they how they can find you. Obviously, I'll put everything in the show notes and yeah. stuff like that. But uh, so so you can find me very easily if you put in full dash closure D A S H closure like disclosure but dash closure C L C L O S U R E. Um, into Google or put Jeff Thomas Black into Google. You'll find all the different uh, all the different places I am. I'm on Substack. If you want to read the first four chapters of the book and on your local podcatcher, you can even listen to the audio versions of the first chapters of the book. So, awesome. um, so yeah, check it out. I'll read it to you. You can read it yourself, and it's it's all um, it's all free. I I wanted to do this to teach people and to tell people the truth, not to attempt to. Uh, to make money off people suffering in the gig economy. So um, I, I want people to share the information and then they can make their own decisions. Yeah. My, my thing is informed consent. 
as long as you guys know what you're doing, if it's legal, you can do it. But I'm still going to go back and say these corporations are going to get their comeuppance. They are. All right. Well, okay. thank you, Jeff, so much. Uh, thank you very thank much, you guys. Jeff. It's a pleasure. Thanks thank for, you for having me on. So. All right, guys. Have a good night. Have a good night, everybody. This podcast is produced and edited by Hey Guys Media Group. Want to start a podcast? Check out heyguysmediagroup.com.